Well, the sun is shining, and I don't know if that means it's getting warmer outside or just one of those great decoys, but I'm inside, warm and cozy, and hanging out here with two amazing collaborators and co-conspirators on the DC Comics News Podcast. This is episode number 53. I'm here today with Mr. Steve J. Ray. Steve, say hello for us. Hello for us. <laughs> I love when we do this. And if you just heard, there's another voice laughing as well. That would be Miss Kelly Gaines. Kelly, could you say hello, please? Hello, please. Yeah. <laughs> All hello right. Conspirators. Indeed. What's the conspiracy? Well, all the things we have to talk about. In fact, if it was a true conspiracy, I might not even reveal that I am your host. My name is Seth Singleton. I'm here with, as we stated, Two amazing co-conspirators ready to talk all the things when it comes to movie, television, streaming, and comic books, and sometimes just a little bit something extra. What that extra is, you have to stay tuned all the way to the end to hear what that might be. In the meantime, we're going to whet your appetite with a new news release and some, well, somewhat intimidating photos about Dwayne Johnson and his training for Black Adam. Steve, what was your initial response to these pictures and what they might be preparing us for when it comes to the upcoming Black Adam? He is ripped. I can definitely smell what Dwayne Johnson is cooking. And that beautiful animation by Boss Logic of that famous artwork we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, he's working hard. He's pumping iron. He's getting ripped and he's going to make an absolutely awesome black adam i've been a fan of his since the beginning since the rocky Maivia days and the rocky sucks chance all the way to rocky rocky and uh the people's elbow the people's eyebrow the people's champion the brahma bull yep he's going to be a superhero to be reckoned with can't wait for this film i mean we've only waited 10 years so What's another couple? That's all. That's all I can say. Really. <laughs> We've done all the waiting. Now it's actually happening. Yeah, can't wait to see him. And with the Justice Society, the Hawks. Yep, I'll be there as close to opening night as I possibly can be. Kelly, what do you make of these pictures? And and Dwayne, the main man, Johnson. I think. I mean, for one, you guys know how much I love Dwayne Johnson and how excited he is for this movie. But the fact that he feels the need to train, like, I don't, when has that man ever needed to train? Like, I feel like right. he's just been a literal <laughs> rock his entire life. <laughs> but, I mean. He's not the pebble, he's the rock. Exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm touched that he's training, but it's kind of like, why? But he he looks fantastic. Um and yeah, it's it's 10 years that we're waiting for this movie, but I think the only person that might be more into it than the actual DC fans is Dwayne Johnson himself. So I'm, I mean, every time I see him post anything about it, I'm really excited because he has that enthusiasm and that drive. So hopefully, I I can't see this movie not being, at, at the very least, delightful. <laughs> delightful is probably one of the many words people will be using to describe this movie when it comes out but definitely when you look at the amount of passion and perspiration that the rock is putting into his training it's really impressive that first photo there must be about 10 million beaded dots of sweat just across his head forearms and shoulders 
in one of those pictures where I was just looking at it and going, how do you do that? Do you like mentally like do a flex mentalo and close every pore in your body and command the sweat to like dance in some kind of like vibrating? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like at what point are you saying, I am in control of every molecule? Like it, it's really impressive. And, and I was waiting at some moment for him to just start like levitating off the floor or, you know, just imbuing all of that black atom power and sort of saying, yeah, so the reason I've been waiting 10 years is I wasn't sure if you guys were ready for this. I he looks like he's ready to punch a lot of things and cause a lot of damage. But uh, I'm really intrigued, Kelly, by the fact that you said, when has this guy ever not been in shape? And it reminds <laughs> me of like, uh, if you ever come across it every once in a while, they'll share his story. And they're like, yes, once again, we've listed all of the food that The Rock eats in a day just to maintain his amazing physique. And it's like 50 pounds of fish like spread out throughout the day on top of like 10 other courses. And I mean, I, I don't know what the guy does on a regular basis, but clearly he's upping the ante here. And I mean, it's to our benefit. He's going to look so intimidating, so impressive. But on top of all the other announcements we've been getting about this movie, if this doesn't get you excited, well, you might be in the wrong sort of place. It's okay. But you will be surrounded by a lot of screaming other people who are thinking to themselves, this is going to be even better than I thought. And it only took 10 years, right, guys? <laughs> um, I think it's going to be a, a really great set. I'm really looking forward to what else we're going to see to tease the upcoming film. And speaking of teases, there is now a new TV spot out teasing the upcoming Birds of Prey. I could probably try and describe it all to you, but it happened so fast that I'm going to rely on the combined efforts of myself, Mr. Steve, and Miss Kelly. Steve, what was your take on this new TV spot about Birds of Prey? We're seeing the ladies fighting, and that always makes me happy because these are women that are powerful and awesome, and they're taking on an army it's not just roman sionis but he's got the whole false face society even though they're not quite named as the article <clears throat> quite rightly states they're, they're still just roman's army but the the ladies are, are like a unit you see just little glimpses of action and mallets swinging and um harley doing her very best wonder woman impression and sliding across the floor and action like that just makes me really really excited for the final product and that lovely thing they mention in the article of the heightened reality of the film. So, yeah, looking forward to that one immensely. And now it's literally just months away. It's not next year anymore. It's months away. Kelly, what did you think? Yeah, I liked what I see so far looks great. I like the action sequences. I really like just, I don't know, it's... I feel like Margot Robbie is so in her zone as Harley Quinn that it just you look at her and it's you just see Harley Quinn when she's in costume and in that character. Although I will say I feel like I haven't seen enough, um, you know, from the clips that have come out yet to really get a sense of whether or not I feel like this is like I would say it's almost how I was excited for the Suicide Squad up until I saw the Suicide Squad where the trailer looked amazing and everything looked like it was going to be great. But then when it happened, it was like, oh, so there's a little part of me that's just holding back from being super excited. But I'm, I'm 
moderately excited. Seth? <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with a little reservation. It, you know, keep just going in there with our, our guard up just a little bit and preparation that there's what we hope and dream for. And then there's the reality of physics and budgets and the fact that everything drawn inside of a comic panel can't always be perfectly represented on screen. Um, where else something might fall short is always a challenge too. But so far, I'm based on what I'm seeing in this preview, I, I feel like it's setting the expectations correctly. And with each subsequent release and tease uh, fulfilling them. I do agree that I would like to see a little bit more of uh, the other characters as they're fighting, but the parts that I'm catching, like <laughs> with Margot Robbie clearly smacking around someone as the car is racing down the road and just having a bit of a good old time of it, made me chuckle, I'm not going to lie. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of it, to seeing other hints of Huntress, Black Canary, all of the characters that we know. And I'm also intrigued by the fact that it looks like unless we get one final teaser right before it actually breaks, Ewan McGregor as Black Mask is going to be something reserved for the big screen. And that's an interesting thing because I really liked the fact that we never saw his face, that the voice was something that was really being established throughout this, uh, this teaser trailer. And uh, I'm intrigued to see how much more of that will be used as a leverage against showing his face as the Black Mask. So uh, I'm liking this continued release, and I'm looking forward to how much more it might be revealing and maybe getting a chance to see some of the other characters with a, a fight scene moment shine just in a way that makes me think that's something I'm going to be looking for and everything else that goes with it when this one comes out. Uh, so that was my big take on it. Any last thoughts before we shift on to another bit of news that's going to keep us all, well, probably talking. I'm intrigued, though, about how much it'll lead to the story I'm talking about is the upcoming Batman film and new details that may or may not have emerged for Robert Pattinson's Batsuit. Batsuits have taken their share of criticism over the years, and the release of this image only seems to heighten speculation without actually feeling like these are concrete details. That was my initial take. Steve, what were you getting out of this story? Like you said, yeah, this isn't confirmed by any means. But if that is the way they're going to go, then I'm very, very happy about it. The uh, article states that what they're going for is a more realistic, grounded, utilitarian look for the Batman costume this time around, um, like the ones the incredible Lee Bermejo has drawn in Noel and Batman Damned. And if that's the way they're going to go brilliant because it is like i said real it's grounded it's a costume that looks like somebody could make yet not anybody this isn't like a cosplay costume it's real but it's stitched it's tough it's hard wearing and in the right light terrifying um if that is the way they're gonna go then i'm a very very happy batman fan indeed and uh, as you know I, I am a batman fan so Please, he's one of the best artists to put pen to paper when it comes to Batman in the last decade or more, as far as I'm concerned. So if that's the way they're going forward, I'm very, very happy. What about you, Kelly? What do you think? 
Yeah, you know, this is going to be kind of a roundabout, silly way of describing it, but it reminded me a lot of um, Night Owl's costume in a sense, kind of the the sort yes. of lines in his helmet, which is cool. But I mean, Night Owl's sort of based on Batman, and then this was a Batman that almost looked like it borrowed back from Night Owl a little, but it's. I, I, there's a weird convoluted line in my head that explains what I'm trying to say, but essentially, yeah, it's, <laughs> I like it a lot. It's very, it just, it, my first thought was like, oh my God, Night Owl. And then, but yeah, it's, it looks good. It looks very kind of militaristic and sleek, but I like it. Seth? Well, I'm really intrigued, uh, not only by this description, but uh, both of your takes on it. Um, I like this idea of this utilitarian approach, the idea of buckles and mesh and also the, the shorter ear profile for the cowl. Um, but, but Kelly, I really think you kind of took it in a different direction there um, with the idea of it being based on Night Owl, which was based on Batman, which then goes back to a chicken and egg question we were talking about <laughs> before we started. So that, that, that really opens up a whole slew of uh, possibilities, much like a can of worms. They all start wiggling in different places. And, you know, who can keep up with any of them? I'm intrigued also by the fact that we're talking about all this when the story itself has this really interesting um, history and background for such a you know shortly lived piece. It was tweeted by a former Variety reporter and then not long after was deleted. All we have beyond it is that there have been some clues made suggesting that this could be based on Lee Bermejo's designs. Uh, as Steve was pointing out, and also how his designs have been featured in some amazing work like Noel, like Batman Damned. I'm wondering if maybe this short glimpse was just designed to see what our initial reaction was. Much as we've sort of been wondering about some of these casting decisions and the process leading up to them, it, it seemed as though even when we were first talking about who would be Batman, that there was a series of information that would come out and people would respond to it. And then either details would be confirmed or there would be a different story. I, I'm wondering if this is something similar to that test balloon and whether or not the response that even our conversation is contributing to it will end up being a part of it. And that's probably the one thing I'm getting the most out of this right now as we're talking is to think, you know, based on who's listening to what we're saying, the conversation all three of us are having today and everyone listening to and conversations by other groups who are sitting down talking about the same news we are might be part of the information they use to make those final decisions. And that could all be something we're contributing to, i.e. a little bit responsible for. kind of like that idea. So I'm curious to see, Kelly, what they say about your night owl. Uh, theory and also uh, Steve what they had to say in response to your references to the brilliant designs we've seen already from the artist who this suit is said to be based on so I think a lot of those things also add this kind of fun froth of speculation and I think more details are only going to add to that but I still love this idea that we're contributing to a conversation that might actually lead to the end results. On that note, I'm curious also what our thoughts will be on this new announcement that David Ayer has discussed cut Justice League ties that were in Suicide Squad, 
but didn't make it to the big screen for those of us who are looking forward to maybe getting a hint of that. There's more to this story, and I'm going to let Steve take the rest of it from here. What was your take on this announcement and the details that were gleaned from this story, Steve? It's not surprising to me at all, and it's what many of us have maintained from the start. That film, just like Justice League, suffered from far too much studio interference. It's not the film the director set out to make. It's not the film anyone really expected or in many cases wanted. Um, It's well known that I don't hate that film as much as many, but I do completely understand why some people didn't like it at all. But here's case in point. The director has said that there were many more ties to the Justice League um, it was meant to be a boom tube. They had to write in that whole technological wave and her magic and everything else. And that did feel tacked on. That wasn't ever part of um, Enchantress's powers in the comic. She's purely a being of magic. So it, it, it was tacked on and it did affect the final cut and the final representation of the film. So I'm just glad that nowadays warner and dc have opened their eyes they're letting people like todd phillips make the films they want to make without interference uh paddy jenkins as we discussed last week has delivered the completed wonder woman movie six months ahead of schedule because warner brothers are taking a step back and letting these artists be artists letting the directors direct letting the actors act and keeping their grubby little mitts off the films and let the people who are making them make them so it's too late for suicide squad it's too late for justice league but moving forward after the success of aquaman wonder woman shazam and of course last year's surprise hit um joker this is probably a good way forward and hopefully means that james gunn will be allowed to do whatever the hell he wants to do with his suicide squad movie but that's just me being a rose tinted glasses half his cup cup is half full kind of guy that i am Kelly, what do you think of it? Yeah, I, I, whenever I hear about what could have happened with Suicide Squad and Justice League, I just get a little irritated because it makes sense if they were linking these movies together to sort of have a connecting plot point and everything's building up to Darkseid, but then it, it doesn't, it didn't do it. And so one of my bigger issues with Suicide Squad and Justice League was that everything felt kind of rushed and random and nothing really connected. They didn't, They wanted to build a universe, but they weren't really laying the groundwork to make it a universe, apart from the fact that these characters are all in the same movies, which and that and the other thing. And this is this is nothing actually personally against the Suicide Squad movie, but I hate the name June Moon. We're talking about Enchantress and that just reminded me of that. And it's just one of those names that sounds like it's a word that if you say it enough times, it's going to stop sounding like a word. And it just irritates me i don't know so yeah i guess this whole thing's just irritating because it's it this could have been so much better not the name june moon that's just that's stuck in where it is but yeah i don't know it it could have been better and it really sucks that the studio got in that much seth uh june moon a rose is a rose is a rose is a rose hmm. um i like that one kelly that that was really <laughs> <laughs> june moon you know Everything to with this... names <laughs> And you should. Um, That's a conversation for a whole other thing. And I'm going to avoid just diving down that rabbit hole of a tangent because you'll never get me back. And someone will have to explain just what happened to this podcast and why it completely went (laughs) off the rails right then. Um, When it comes to Enchantress, when it comes to June Moon, 
to this day, my wife's biggest complaint, she's like, she ruined it. She ruined the movie. She ruined Rick Flagg. She just, ah, from, from the start of it, you just can't get a word in edgewise. However, I'm really intrigued by what this story reveals about so many things that could have really made this movie such a powerful example of maybe getting closer to what didn't happen in Justice League, but also what appears to be the biggest problem for both of these films is that they were lacking this sort of connecting structure and that there were these decisions to remove it late in the game and how they clearly suffered for it. Um, I mean, as I was looking through this story and saw the uh, reminder about how in 2017 there had been that concept art revealed saying Enchantress Boom Tube and Parademon Boss. And now this story, uh, you know, basically saying that the machine that she had was supposed to be a boom tube and that she's under the control of a mother box. And that none of that made sense when you stripped out all the apocalypse elements and then made into something about her building a machine. It, it was really interesting to get a feeling for why some of those things felt so unconnected, so, well, undeveloped, and then to realize that their foundations were completely stripped out from under them. So, of course, they're going to feel like they're not authentic. They're lacking that substance because you took it away when you removed all of those elements that made it a connected story to Justice League and the films that came before Kelly, I was really intrigued by what you mentioned about this idea of how this is kind of part and parcel with the challenges that were facing Warner Brothers when they were trying to build a universe without actually laying the groundwork and instead just trying to put the characters in a movie together and hope that that was enough justification. We'd already seen an example in another comic universe that had actually done the groundwork, taken the time, paid the dues, and instead of trying to rush built that brick by brick and when you just try and lay down a uh you know a floor plan for a house and you haven't put down a foundation house is going to fall apart it's an old story it's been around for a long time <laughs> we can see where this was an issue steve what i loved was how you brought up this idea that while this was a difficult time and there were some hard lessons to be learned the important thing is it appears that the learning is happening the fact that Patty Jenkins finished her movie six months early because there was no interference, the fact that that recognition is having a ripple effect on other projects because Warner is realizing they're only getting in the way when they try and get involved. And why not let the creators do what they do so well and then come in at the end and provide all the best support because that's the way that you guarantee that you're going to have a successful movie. And it's been proven so far, hopefully, they don't try and change tactics at some point because of an outside influence that makes them rethink what so far is looking to be a winning recipe and one that could lead to some really great possibilities down the road. With the movies we have coming up, we can potentially right this ship and see a really great new direction open up despite some of these stumbles and Hopefully, as long as we always continue to or they always continue to remember what these mistakes were like and the consequences that came with them. So thank you both for those perspectives, because I feel like they point to what the real core of the issue was. And they also point to the examples that were able to very impressively avoid it and then allow us to experience great works of art 
because the creators were allowed to do what they do best, create, produce, and wow and thrill and really make us wonder. And when it comes to wondering, well, this next story could set the conversation timer off, well, off of its dials. Joker writer-director Mr. Todd Phillips wants a Batman spinoff film, but he doesn't want him to be a part of it. Yeah, I know I'm dancing around with some pronouns and having my bit of fun, but there's some meat to this story. Steve, what's your take, my friend? Hmm, conflicted is the truth, because I honestly think that Joker is so different, it should be left alone. Um, I, I don't know if I want to see anything follow that story in that way. I mean, I do want to see more of the DC Black Label or DC Black, whatever he wants to call it, universe, where we see standalone tales looking at characters in depth in a mature and sociological aspect. But I don't know if I want to see batman of that particular world because i'd rather see the villains and the secondary characters and the, the characters we haven't seen that much of um it's case in point with joker that was a completely different joker to any we've ever seen yet still fitting with every different different aspect of joker i mean everything with the murray melvin show is so frank miller's dark knight um it, it was just brilliant but we're getting Batman by Matt Reeves and it's going to be more of a comic book movie. And that's where Batman should remain because he's a mass market popular character and he should still cater to that kind of audience. Joker can skew away from that with the whole psychology of the killer stuff. Um, I'd rather see more films dedicated to, I don't know, John Constantine or Zatanna or that other side of the DC universe, not necessarily Batman. And this is me saying this as a Batman fan. Joker was brilliant because it was different. And sometimes if you try and recreate that magic, you have to make sure to succeed because otherwise you will fall flat on your face. And I, yeah, I think they should leave that one well enough alone, but, that's just my, my, my take. Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I, I have to agree that I would, if if I had a vote, I would vote for leaving it alone. Um, yeah, just on the, it was a unique, really well done movie. And I feel like if there, there's a conflict when studios try to plan a sequel, because either you're planning a sequel before the initial film, and then should the sequel not happen for whatever reason, it kind of makes that one film feel like an unfinished story, or you try to jump in later on and add a sequel in, but then there's not necessarily that groundwork to, you know, justify starting off that second movie. Um, with the Joker, I would prefer they didn't. Although I do get why he's saying he'd rather somebody else write and direct it if they were to make a Batman in this universe, because it's, you know, we saw with Superman and Batman or uh, Batman versus Superman that you can't necessarily tell a Superman story with a Batman tone. And even in Man of Steel, it was so kind of rigid and gritty that it just, it didn't fit the tone of Superman. So if they were to have someone else do it and change the tone from Joker to Batman, that could be interesting. It could be a, a fun thing to see. 
I also I thought it was weird that he called Gotham he said it was the beautiful Gotham because in my head I'm like I, I was scared I was scared the whole time I don't remember seeing anything that struck me as like oh wow what a city but um yeah I I'd rather if they didn't do that and I think I mean I get what he's saying that it'd be interesting to see what sort of Batman that Gotham would create especially considering you know this is a Gotham that is really divided over the lines of class and of you know the one percent and everybody else um and with Batman coming from that 1%, it would be really, really interesting to see how he interacts as, you know, kind of a symbol of Gotham when he's from the side that a majority of Gotham's not from. Um, but yeah, I, I still vote for don't do it. What do you think, Seth? <laughs> I, I love that that summation there at the end. Yeah, I still vote for don't do it. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's a degree of like, yeah, we can talk about this and that and this, but when we get to it, don't do it. Um, and that that's probably a reaction that a lot of people are having. I like this idea of the suggestion of, of what it could mean. But um, at first, I have to take heart to the fact that someone who has a, uh, shall we call it a, a mild affinity for Batman, someone like Steve Ray, would you call that? passionate yeah he's kind of cool <laughs> i uh i feel that you know when someone who has really studied this character so well makes a statement like no this isn't what i would want to see as a batman fan i'm telling you this that's something i really take to heart and it's something that i would i would consider before i really tried to think too much more about this. I, I'm intrigued also by what you brought up, Kelly, which is the idea of when does the studio make the decision about a sequel? Do they make it beforehand? Therefore, planting the seeds necessary in the first film so that they can you know, be developed later on in either one or more sequels. Or do they try and capitalize on the success of an amazing film like Joker and create a new sequel just from scratch or cut and dried from the old film and stand alone on its own yet somehow have the threads and ties that connect to that first one and feel as authentic as if they had been planted in the first one initially big challenges rarely successful but I also have to give consideration to this idea, which is that now that you've had a Joker who has influenced Gotham the way he has, Bruce Wayne will grow up in that Gotham. Bruce Wayne will become Batman in that Gotham. And if we've never seen this Joker before, then this is a Batman we've never seen before either, simply because of the environment he would have to deal with in order to fight the crime that Gotham would produce as a result of this new Joker. That catches my attention because so much of what's defined Batman so far has been based on what we know about Joker. And yet if this film has challenged what we think we know, then it would challenge what we think we know about Batman too. And that leaves a lot of great potential and possibility. The idea what does that kind of Batman look like? What kind of Batman does this Gotham make? That part's intriguing for me. And then I'm just going to bait the hook a little bit and you guys can nibble at it or you can just chomp right down. But what about the idea? Because it popped up while you were talking. So I'm going to put some responsibility on both of you. 
What about the idea of a film that features Joker sort of learning about Batman as he develops and in doing so understanding that relationship that he always seems to have a a tighter grasp on than Batman does, or at least has that sort of manic response to the idea of you can't kill me. We need each other. We feed off each other. We make each other who we are. And that in some ways, Batman would be his creation, his responsibility and what that relationship would look like through his lens. So that was the only thing that really sort of caught my attention is by seeing who this new Joker is, this different version that we've experienced before. What would it be like to witness what he sees in this Batman and who he sees himself in relation to Batman? Being this representation of the order of the other side of the response to what he has brought about in Gotham. So uh, if anyone wants to take a, a chomp on that one, feel free. If not, I'm happy to shift gears into the next story. But it was something that intrigued me, and I was happy to go ahead and toss it out there if, uh, if Steve or Kelly, uh, either of you had a thought about that kind of approach. If a sequel took the idea of what does Batman look like to Joker as he sort of grows into his own or becomes someone that is a product of what the Joker did, the Joker being a product of the Gotham that created him. Yeah, it's a very I, I interesting mean, yeah, that's, and I think because they played that angle of, you know, he briefly thinks that Thomas Wayne is his dad and that Bruce is his brother. Um, I mean, right? clearly he's not the sanest person. So maybe, I don't know that maybe that would kind of give some wiggle room if on some level he still believed that Bruce was his brother and, and, you know, finds out that Bruce is Batman. He's like, well, now we have to mess with each other. Definitely. And a brother he created. In this way, he was able to accomplish what, you know, maybe Thomas couldn't because his actions led to a creation known as Batman, who ends up becoming the opposite of the Joker. Um, Yeah, I'm intrigued by Steve. I thought you were going to add in as well. Oh, definitely. I mean, that whole reversal of the dynamics, obviously in the comic books, it, it's it's uh, law that Batman created Joker. And Tim Burton's original 89 Batman movie turned out on its head as well, with Jack Napier being the man who was a young mugger in his early days in crime, being the one who killed um, Thomas and Martha Wayne. And the whole thing at the end is, you can't kill me, you made me. And then Batman saying, yeah, I made you, but you made me first. And right. that whole thing, yeah, is a complete reversal and can, could make for some fascinating cinema. But the other thing about the Joker movie is that nothing is set in stone. Even at the end, you're left wondering what was real, what wasn't. And the whole fact that Thomas Wayne disproved that he was his father and everything else and that he was adopted. We've discussed this a lot amongst, uh, we briefly discussed it, you, Seth, myself and Brad, where, well, hang on, if he was adopted, how has he got the same um, symptoms of, of insanity and the, the things that his mother had if she adopted him? I think that maybe Thomas Wayne was covering his tracks and that is his son. And then by default, he is Batman's half brother. And that turns the whole opposite sides of the coin, negative, positive, chaos, order, 
justice and crime on its head as well. I mean, that could be stories forever. I mean, that whole dynamic of we need each other and also we can't kill each other because we're family, which um, Batwoman explores so beautifully with the relationship between Batwoman and Alice. So, yeah, it could make for some fascinating stories. But I also... Well, I can't say I liked the Joker film because it disturbed me so much. I revere it in a way where I think that it should just be left alone. And those are stories that can be told forever and a day in other mediums, um, particularly in the comic books with, with a forum like, like so the Black Label comics and not necessarily the Black, DC Black um, imprint that they want to do for the films now that Todd Phillips' films are such a success. I, while I would love to see those stories, I'm just uh, think that the Joker film should be left alone. But I, I, I don't know. I'm conflicted because, like you said, there's so much that could come out of that. Oh, Seth, you are bad. I, I, I well, as, as I've said on more than one occasion, I've never claimed to be an angel. And really, if there's one thing in the world that frightens me, it's the people who claim they are. Um, what I am really intrigued by, though, is every time I've ever... When I think about, say, Dark Knight, it was about understanding what was the Joker. What makes him tick? Why does he do the things he do so we can uncover how to stop him? And yet, what would it be like to be the Joker, suddenly confronted with this man who's constantly this figure, this Batman, constantly getting in your way? What's his motivation? Why doesn't he want you to do all the great things and wonderful things you're bringing about? Why does he constantly, what drives him? Because that's the question that's constantly being asked about Joker whenever he's, you know, presented on screen and presented as this challenge. What's the motivation? What is it he wants so that we can figure out how to stop him? And I think it would be a really interesting thing to turn the camera around and have Joker looking at Batman like, what is this guy? Why is he always so what's with the bat and what's with the toys and why is he (laughs) always so insistent on stopping me? And that would be a really interesting puzzle for him and yet a a really fun exploration of what it's like to go. So this guy keeps getting in my way and I think he's about to become a problem. I can't just kill him off like everybody else. He doesn't die. He keeps coming back. He's so persistent. Why? What's his what's his beef? (laughs) Um, What's fascinating as well is, like you said, in Dark Knight, where when Batman vanished for 10 years and went into retirement, the Joker literally uh, went to a catatonic state, didn't move or didn't speak until Batman reappeared. And that juxtaposition, that kind of conflict in the character, if he then realizes that he can't actually live without Batman, Batman is his reason for living, but he's also the biggest pain in the butt he's ever had. But then you add that thing, well, actually, he's my fault. I did that. I killed his parents. I made him... And then you've just got that never ending spiral of, of, of craziness, which is that's fascinating to me. That's a real can of worms you've opened up yourself there, Seth. That could I, be amazing. <laughs> that's the part that intrigues me the most about this idea, because I can see where storytellers like this can look at that possibility and be fully aware of there's things you can do in there. All you have to do is get a little dirty and in the process, start looking at things from that perspective. So if you're ready to jump in, do it with both feet. Don't wear your prettiest clothes because they're not coming out clean ever, (laughs) ever again. 
but also know that what you're about to dive into could change the way storytelling looks at villains, superheroes, and the conflicts that the stories are always about. Um, I'm really intrigued. Yeah, I know I'm opening a can of worms here, but you know what else? I, I happen to know I'm with a uh, amazing, amazing group of conspirators, collaborators, and um, in this case, potentially fishermen. So let's bait some hooks. Let's see what the people are nibbling for. And who knows? This could be a story that has legs and we keep talking about. I'm intrigued, especially to talk about it more with you guys each and every week with uh, whatever else we discover. However, I can't ignore this next story, and I'm going to cut short our discussion from this current because it, it could go so many places. There's so many worms. Can we catch them all? There's always one popping up somewhere. But this other that story. conversation could go on forever. You're right. <laughs> Indeed. So let's shift <laughs> gears now to another whole speculative process. When it comes to this story that James Gunn purportedly I love purportedly. It's just one of those words. It rolls off the tongue so well. Purportedly, turned down Superman for the Suicide Squad. He chose Suicide Squad over Superman. On the headline alone, Steve, what would you take, my friend? Purportedly is indubitably a wonderful word. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, he, well, see, that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Um, many other directors might be looking at him and saying, you did what for who? You turned down like the most famous character in the world, the first superhero to make a movie about a bunch of misfits. But that's James Gunn's bag. And James Gunn does that kind of movie beautifully. He knows how groups work, how team dynamics work. He can handle multiple crazy wacky different out there characters he's proven it um, not just with guardians of the galaxy with every film he's made he's more of a group dynamic guy and superman is a special kind of case not everyone can do him right and not everyone should try and i have to respect james Gunn for saying no that's not me that's not what i want to do thanks for the offer appreciate it but no these are my people this is the story I want to tell, and that's the way I want to go. I have to respect that as a writer, as an artist. Um, would I turn down the chance to do anything with Superman? No, I probably wouldn't. But if I had the choice <laughs> of any property in the world and I could decide which one I actually wanted, then I'd like to think, being honest, um, that I would go with what I love and what I know more about first. So while it sounds crazy... Mr. Gunn, I salute you for that. That's that's a brave choice and uh, not the most financially rewarding because a Superman movie, well, would done probably would probably be more box office, but he stuck to his guns as an artist. Kudos. Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, at the time he would have been, you know, kind of figuring out which DC property he wanted to go for, I think. Superman seems like it wouldn't be a good idea because I, I know personally I still feel like I could take another few years before I see another Superman movie. So if anything, I mean, on top of him knowing how to play to his strengths and not necessarily going for what's going to make the most money right out the gate, um, it, it shows sort of an understanding of where comics fans and where Superman fans and just DC fans as a whole were 
when he was coming to the table where it's not necessarily, you know, we, I don't know that any of us were really ready for another Superman movie at that moment. Um, a James Gunn Superman movie, I, I'm sure almost everyone would have gone to see, but still, I think the fact that he went for Suicide Squad or it was, this was this movie everybody was so amped up about and they really didn't, you know, didn't get to enjoy it. That to me makes more sense. I, I like that he made that decision. Seth? Uh, when it comes to this story, um, <laughs> despite the uh, sound difficulties, to thine own self be true, right? And it must follow as the day then, or as the night the day. Um, the idea so, being, if you know who you are, you know what you're great at. You know what you understand. I love that great quote from Barfly. You know, I can only write about these sorts of poems if I'm here in the gutters with them, you know, drinking the swill and showing you exactly what it's like to be here. I can't dry out, stand up here from a different perspective and tell you this sort of story. He understood that he has this gift for telling stories about misfits. These just, ah, we got to put up with this guy again, except it's more than just one. And it's this cast of conflict. And that's where he thrives. I think there would be a lot of difficulty for him to take on a singular titular figure like Superman, someone who defines so much about the DC name and know that this isn't who he is and this isn't what he does well. This isn't his best work. This isn't where he excels. But recognizing that and saying, now you you have people who this is what they know, understand, and can do extremely well. I know misfits. That's why I want the Suicide Squad. And I love that idea. I love that recognition of yourself. Like, sure, you can give me all the best out there, but I know where I'm going to succeed. And I know that reaching outside of myself, not being true to myself, is how I'm going to fail. So, why don't you go ahead and find somebody who lines up more clearly with that project and let me do what I do the way you want me to. Let me tell you a story about misfits. Let me tell you about the outcasts. Let me tell you about the people that everybody else has given up on and why they have such a great story to tell. I think that's what we had the chance to experience with Suicide Squad and even with the issues that have been stated and in some ways simply cannot be argued with, it was a story about misfits and the parts of it that were, they were, they were really bright, shining moments. And there's a reason why we're getting another Suicide Squad movie coming up simply because those moments that shown, they were enough. They showed us the promise and the possibility. And I think that wouldn't have been possible if we didn't have someone like James Gunn who can tell a misfit story just the way he did. And uh, I think it's it's to his strength and to his character that he knew better than to take something that didn't represent who he was and was something he couldn't identify uh, with uh, the way he needed to in order to tell not only that story, but also to have the chance to tell the story he wanted to, which he got to do with Suicide Squad. Now, I'm always intrigued by the stories about things that didn't happen. And it looks like this isn't the only story for us about things that didn't or won't be happening. 
The next story I'm talking about is the confirmation that Birds of Prey will not include the Jared Leto version of Joker. I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure if I was really surprised by this. I felt like the discussion maybe had closed some time ago, but I'm also curious to hear what our co-conspirators have to say. Steve, what was your take, my friend? It's a little surprising because back when the movie started rolling, uh, pictures are appearing on the set with someone from a window looking very much like Jared Leto's Joker throwing Harley's stuff out onto the street and after their breakup. And I, mm, maybe it's not Jared Leto appearing as the Joker, but we've already seen stills from that film showing someone looks exactly like him or very much like him doing so. But maybe that's just the beginning of the movie and the first steps of uh, the emancipation of one Harley Quinn. So um, I'm going to take that one with a pinch of salt. Maybe it won't be Jared Leto himself, but those scenes were shot. Pictures and stills have already appeared. And it's just one of those many things that end up uh, end up on the cutting room floor. And um, that happens a lot of times as well. So many things we see in trailers never make it to the finished film. Um, so hmm, different, interesting. Um, as long as we still get Black Canary and Huntress uh, kicking butt, then I'm happy anyway. Uh, Kelly, what did you make of it? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, my hope, I, I really didn't want to see the Jared Leto, or, sorry, Jared, wow, that's a lot of letters, Jared Leto Joker again, and I feel <laughs> so bad for him because <laughs> he seems to have gotten just as as into the role as a lot of other people who have played the Joker have. So it sucks that he doesn't get to see it play out, but maybe, I don't know with, with the, the footage of someone who looks like him throwing her clothes out. I mean, maybe she just had a rebound that was really close to, to the Joker that was, you know, right before, like maybe, and look, I've, I know people who do this, they date someone and then date someone who looks exactly like them right after. So, I mean, maybe that was it but i you know it's it's unfortunate for jared leto but i'm glad if he doesn't have anything to do with this movie uh seth (laughs) wow rebound story huh (laughs) yeah his name's roker what yeah his name's roker trust me he's nothing like mr j and you're just like hold on um how how did this happen he looks just like the guy and you just changed the first letter how can this not be Okay, sure. Uh, yeah, rebound. You know what? It does happen. In fact, um, on a weird tangent, my wife was listening to the audio um, book of Marilyn Manson's autobiography. And it led to this conversation about women that he dated. And she proceeded to tell me that he at one point was dating uh, a burlesque woman, something Von Teese, Dita, something. Um, Dita Von Teese, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I actually know then, who that is too, oddly enough. <laughs> okay, so now you guys can help me because maybe you can help me with this. She says that not long after they split up, he gets together with Rachel Evan Wood? Rachel Evan Lee? Oh, yeah. Yep. And, then that, and then not long after that, she starts dressing identical to Miss Dita Von Teese. Almost like he broke up with one person went out with somebody else and then turned them into the exact version of the person he was dating previously. I don't know if you guys follow anything about them. Oh, but... that totally happened. Okay. 
Okay, so I, I know this from secretly watching VH1 happen. clips yes. of him. <laughs> okay, so using Marilyn Manson as a potential stand-in for Joker, <laughs> or for Harley, and the uh, the rebound thing that that's happening here, I'm really intrigued by that. I'm also, as we were talking about this story, just laughing to myself about the idea of just some silhouette, a Joker-like silhouette, blacked out, but with the voice just like, "Hey, get out of here, yeah." And then just a couple of one-liners, a couple of quips, and no actual, like, face-to-face. No, you know, leering, glaring, stare, iconic Joker look. But just a voice and a shadow and objects being thrown out the window, followed by a slam, bang, or some other sort of, this is over. Um, and, And that could add to that heightened reality that's occurring within this story and be a really fun way of... When someone in a movie is telling the story from their perspective, how they view things is going to influence what we get to see. And that could be a really fun way of her describing, yeah, well, and then he was, but you know how he always is, blah, blah, with this and blah, blah, with that. I swear it's like he doesn't even seem like a real person to me sometimes. You know what I mean? However, they could spin it. But I do feel like there's an interesting thing here, which is that Jared Leto did really seem to invest himself. Leto. Uh, I always get these names, these names and me. I always get them. Jado Letter. <laughs> yeah, Leto, 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 Leto. He really invested himself in the character, and he seemed really passionate about promoting the film afterwards and talking about the ways he would love to get involved in more projects. He really felt like this was a door opening, and this story seems like this is the one about how it's finally closed, and this is the end of his time however short or long it, it was between the appearance or the talked about uh, after the appearance of, of him as Joker. And I'm intrigued by that because it really seemed like that was the direction that we might be heading. And I'm wondering when it was decided that that was no longer the right fit. Uh, I don't know if it's to provide this clear separation between the Harley Quinn from Suicide Squad and the Harley Quinn we'll see in the upcoming Birds of Prey film. But it, it is, it feels like it's one of those stories that one of these days I'll finally get to read about and go, ah, so that's what happened. Because to the rest of us, no one really knew what was going on. And at the end of this story, the only thing I know for sure is that he's definitely not in it. And I still don't know what happened or why. And if you have anything else, please stay tuned to the end. All the ways we allow you to let us know your thoughts, your theories, or any other insights you can provide about, well, this and all the other stories we're talking about. We're going to shift gears now from all of our movie topics into a little bit on the smaller screen, the TV and streaming world. And our first story to start things off is the announcement that Laura Hudson will join HBO Max's DMZ writing team. I was really impressed with DMZ when it came out, and I'm intrigued to see this new version on HBO Max. Steve, what did this announcement mean for you? What it meant for me is that I think Laura Hudson is fantastic, and I have so much respect for her. Um, Again, you may have just seen it in the article, but it's quite well documented, um, her history in the past and the fact that she was a lady who just worked in a comic book store and she was um, allegedly assaulted by Brian Wood, who 
wrote the original DMZ comic book. And many would say, well, why the hell are you getting involved with this? It's because, well, I'm a writer. I had ideas and um, Ava DuVernay's seen my talent. And why should I let that part of my past dictate to me my future, my creativity and my talent? And so all I can say is, Laura Hudson, I salute you and you are awesome. So this story made me happy. Um, It's a great story. I think it's going to make a great comic book adaptation. And when someone can make such an amazing positive from a negative like that, that makes her a superhero in my book. And that honestly is all I have to say about it. Um, News like this makes me happy. Kelly. Yes, Steve, I I have to echo a lot of what you just said, that this makes me very happy. And it is a really brave and I, I mean, personally on just coming from my own experience, you know, being a girl and a writer and all that, I would have a really difficult time doing what she's doing. Um, But it shows a level of, you know, kind of personal fortitude. That's awesome. And the fact that she's worked her way through this industry by, you know, working in a comic book shop, then being an editor of a, a site that kind of talks about comics the way we do. And then, to move into this it's it's just really heartwarming in a badass way it's it's, it's like inspiring yeah yeah it's like it's a really good story i like that a lot and i i mean kudos to her because i know a i mean when i've written for myself it's always if something kind of ruins something for me if something starts to associate with a bad memory that used to be a happy one or that used to be something that inspired me it kind of almost mentally cut something off in my head where it's just an area you don't go to. So the fact that she's not only willing to go back to that area, but creating it is just, I mean, unbelievable. I can't, I, I don't know what words I can use. So it's, it's great. <laughs> Seth. Well, I'm really moved by both of you. Um, thank you for taking those directions and for adding to the history here. Um, I really liked this book when it came out. I was stunned when the announcement came out from Laura Hudson about her experience and the assault she, uh, the sexual assault she accused Brian Wood of and the consequences that I can only imagine what that would have on anyone. And then to find the resolve to say, while this was painful to share, it's also a way to share the things that I'm working on, the, the ways that I am engaging with this material, the ways that I've chosen not to let these things define me, but instead to define who I am by how I respond to them and what I do. And then to, to have this opportunity to work with Ava DuVernay, to say, yes, while it was painful to share the details of my story, the benefit was that it put me in the sightline of someone like Ava, that she reached out to me and then made this offer to me, gave me a chance to take control of this story and shape it in a way that has to do with what really is becoming more of the focus here. And that's this idea that the resolve necessary in order to keep moving forward to involve yourself with uh, a project that, as you both pointed out so rightly, has such a negative history to it for her personally, and then succeed 
and show that these things will not be factors in shaping her, but they will be the things she's responding to as she's shaping her own destiny. Man, I would like to hope that I've got a, a, a degree of resolve, but I don't know if I have that degree of dissolve and I don't know resolve and I don't know if I ever would unless I was put in a situation where I had to confront that challenge and, and see. But to see someone else do it makes me at least consider and hopefully anyone else hearing this story that the possibility is there, that even the hardest, most difficult challenge you might be facing is not the undoing of all of your hard work and that no matter where you are, how you respond, how you choose to act is really a definition of, of the things that have made you who you are. I was really moved by what both of you said. I'm trying to respond to this in a way that sounds even mildly coherent, but really there's a, a strength here that you can try and talk about. And yet at the same time, you feel like you want to allow the, the voice and the words of the person who's talking to have the most power and impact. I thought everything she had to say and the details about this story, uh, very powerful, very inspiring, but uh, matched only by what you both had to say. And I'm hoping that that message is something that others are able to hear, respond to as well, and find that, that same degree of recognition and inspiration. Because what I was seeing was one thing, but what you both presented for me today uh, really heightened that experience for me. So if I can just say, Steve, Kelly, thank you both. That was uh, really, really powerful insights you both offered. And I, I really enjoyed hearing them both and doing my best to even try and respond to them. Before I start just stumbling all over myself, I'm going to shift gears into our next story. And this is another one that I feel falls into that great inspirational category. The story that the finalists of DC Universe's DCU Unscripted will be announced this month. January 24th, a special episode of the streaming service DC Daily Weekday News will tell us who the finalists are and allow them to explain their pitches to the public. Steve, what was your take on the story, my friend? My first take is, damn, how did I miss this? I've got more ideas than an ideas factory sitting around in that empty noggin of mine, and <laughs> I missed it. That's my first thought. Secondly, though, is, wow, this is great. This blows the uh, American Idols and X Factors of the world out of the park for me. Die, you horrible reality shows you. This is what should be happening. People with ideas, people who want to tell stories, getting the chance to tell them. Uh, Seth Kelly, as writers yourselves, this has got to be like a dream come true thing. I mean, to get a story that's been floating around in your mind made. Wow. Great. Um, all I can think of is is what you were saying earlier with uh, Joker and not actually seeing Joker and throwing Harley out. And I automatically started thinking of having Mark Hamill's voice do that. And damn you, Harl, you <laughs> slept with my brother Jim Kerr and Jerry Kerr <laughs> and Jack Kerr. And now you're leaving me. <laughs> no. And, you know, what the hell? Distant stories. There are so many of them, and now we're going to see people like us make them love it, love it, love it, love it. 
Kelly, what did you make of it? So I have kind of two tangents here that I'm going to go off of. Bear with me. So first is when you were saying, um, you know, they have all these reality shows, people compete to show their talent and whatever. Having a comic book one would be awesome. But then that reminded me that there was a, a show that was on for maybe one or two seasons when I was a kid. And it was like Stan Lee's Who Wants to Be a Superhero. And it was a really scripted show of it's on Amazon Prime. You guys want to watch? Let me know. But like it's uh, it, these people dressing up in superhero costumes and they're trying to pitch themselves kind of as a new hero to to Stan Lee. And it was super scripted and super campy, but I loved it. I don't know why that popped in. But as far as the finalist goes, I actually got to watch. Um, I've been trying to use my DC Universe app a little bit more um, just around the house. So I was watching this morning and they announced or they showed videos of, I think it was 10 of the finalists. And then they're going to, you know, show the actual pitches later on. But it was just, you know, these 10 people getting to pop on screen and be like, this is my name. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. And it was the most sincere mix of jealousy and joy I've ever felt because they are all so excited. And I know I I can kind of imagine exactly what they must be feeling. And then at the same time, I'm like, God, why didn't I do anything? But (laughs) yeah, it's I mean, I good luck to all of them. And this has to be really exciting to even be recognized to get into the level where it's like you're a finalist. You may not be the, the person who wins, but we acknowledge that you have you know, talent and merit. That's, that's fantastic. Seth? Yeah, there's a, there is an extreme mix of pride as well as, man, why did I miss this deadline? What was going on in my life that was more important than me coming up with just one great idea and pitching it? Are you kidding me? Are they doing this next year? I didn't even know it was a thing. You guys actually heard about this? I heard no, about I, yeah, I saw I it actually ahead of time and there was a whole thing no you had to idea. sign up for. <laughs> it, it was a thing. The the form looked kind of long and I was like, you know what? I, I'll do this later and then I totally forgot about it. So oh, that wow. I mean that part yeah. for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say this. If they're doing this again, um we need to do Hell a call. Yeah. With the three of us shopping our top five ideas and then narrowing it down and either doing a group pitch or helping each other do our own pitches. Because, yeah, I've heard the things we've talked about. I feel like it might have even been on our site, actually. I feel feel like we might have been the ones that shared it and that's how I found it. I don't know. I just, I know I forgot. (laughs) I am not paying attention to the things. How did I miss that? I don't know where either that or Brad shared it it might have been Brad but I I don't know I just know I feel like I saw it through us and went huh that'd be a great idea and then just forgot man look I know I was in the middle of a contract for at least four of those weeks but I should have been at least clear-headed enough to see something about this and I'm ashamed that I wasn't and now I need to start writing down some ideas because the next time this comes around, I'll probably be even less prepared. And I just got to hope that I've got something because I've heard the things we talk about, man. We have enough stuff. We have some ideas that they would love to get their hands on. We just got to make sure we're there for the next pitch. That's that's my first take. Um Kelly, your thing about the Stanley who wants to be a superhero, I do remember it made me smile. Um, I also remember, (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I also remember there was the uh, the one where he went around and found real people who exhibited superhero abilities on the History Channel. That was always one of my favorites. Do you remember that one? Oh, it would be like no. a thing. Yeah, no, he finds like, that one. What? Yeah, yeah, Stanley's real life superheroes, and he goes around and he finds people like there's a guy who can generate huge amounts of heat from his body. Um, other guys who have like you know super strong skin and oh you got to look this up yeah it's on History Channel um, and it's I'm all about how, yeah it's all about how he's looking for people who have amazing abilities and one guy who can actually climb walls like a spider um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you guys got to check it out tell you what I'll uh, I'll take a I'm reading the wrong articles jeez. <laughs> Oh, I, I would watch the show. I remember when they were advertising it years ago, and I was like, I got to watch this show. And I used to love Wait, you know what, Seth? Now that you're saying that, I actually shared a trailer for this with my college roommate once. <laughs> I remember this completely, and I never watched it. I just shared the trailer. <laughs> yep, taking you back. Taking oh, you back God. just a little bit. Um, so I love this idea of pitching stories. I love this idea of fresh young talent coming through. I mean, there's been a few really wonderful examples about people who were just fans, just wanted to be part of the industry, just wanted to be connected, who found that that desire alone, coupled with the stories that they had already begun telling on their own, were a way for them to find their stories part of DC Comics lore. And you can go ahead and pick your favorite example there's quite a few out there. But this other opportunity now to put yourself out there, to make your best pitch and take a chance, and to have the success as these 10 have of being a finalist and making your pitch to the public and sort of getting everyone's reaction. It, it must be an amazing feeling. I think we all have content that is just as good, if not better than what we're gonna see. And I'm really excited the next time this comes around because I know that the three of us are going to be putting together some seriously fun pitches. And I can't think of a better feeling in the world than should I be standing up there with those 10 finalists and look to my left and look to my right and see a friendly face and know that I'm standing side by side with somebody who's as passionate about these stories as I am. The fact that it could be you, Kelly, you, Steve, our good friend, Mr. Brad, who's now with us here today, or any of the other dedicated, devoted comic fans, storytellers, writers, dreamers, creators, artists. Man, it's really quite lovely. Um, I'm really excited to see more about this, and I'm hoping it gives me just enough of that jealousy, just enough of that envy that I go, okay, so what do you got? Because, uh, you know, there's something inspiring about somebody doing something and you going, I could do that because there's that other part of you. And if it's not a part of you, then it's that great friend or that partner who goes, oh, yeah, put up or shut up. What do you got? A good rivalry. Yeah. (laughs) It brings out the best in all of us. And uh, these guys have inspired me. They have definitely encouraged me to, well, to keep my eyes open, to pay attention to announcements like this, and to know that I don't know how many more times they're going to come around. So what am I waiting for, right? If you've got a great idea. Now it's my turn. (laughs) That's right. 
if you've got a great idea out there too, I'd love to hear it. And I think the rest of us would love sharing any thoughts you might have on what could be a great pitch. But if you want to keep them to yourself, that's okay with us too. We look forward to the possibility of adding your name to those being read off as a finalist when this competition comes back around. Now, being your best, sometimes having that rival is what pushes you to be your best. I can say there are quite a few DC comic heroes who have found themselves pushed when they've gone up against a man known as Deathstroke. CW's Deathstroke the Cartoon is just announced a debut date. In fact, it's right around the corner. And I'm sure both Steve, Kelly, and I have plenty to say. Steve, what was your take as we're counting down to Deathstroke, Knights, and Dragons? Well, first of all, that cast, led by The Shield's very own Michael Chiklis, uh, and not just the cast of actors, the cast of characters appearing in the story have definitely, definitely got me intrigued and excited. When I see Colin Salmon's name after, after he did brilliantly in the first couple of seasons of Arrow, he's a national treasure in the UK. He's a very beloved and, and well-respected actor over here. And just again, Chiklis' Deathstroke, brilliant actor, um, stunning. We're going to see more of Jericho. Um, Shiva, yeah, uh, CW Seed. If only, if only we got those shows in the UK. We got the first season of Vixen. We didn't get season two. We never got Ray, the Ray. And I really want to see them. Hopefully, somehow, there'll be a platform where we can watch this Deathstroke show over here because I really, really want to see it. Absolutely. He's having a renaissance. It's, it, it boggles my mind, though, that Deathstroke comic book series has ended. And the Deathstroke character is blowing up everywhere else. He's in uh, Batman this month with, with uh, James Tynan taking over. He's appearing everywhere. He's getting his own animated series, but yet his comic book is no more. Hmm. What are you going to do? <laughs> Kelly, what do you make of it? I, I feel like I almost have more questions than responses to this. I mean, for one, um, I... I I don't know. I there's a part of me that's like, but is it going to be on DC Universe? Is that I I'm genuinely not sure. And then as far as um, you know, it's I guess I don't know enough about the tone of the show because there's so many flags in my head that are like, wait, so is this? It's animated, so is it an adult cartoon? Is it a kid cartoon? Because if it's a kid cartoon, they change Deathstroke to Slade in Teen Titans because that wasn't okay for kids. But then I don't think it's kids. But then my follow up complaint is that but I would love to see it on DC universe. Um, But yeah, it's, I enjoy that Slade Deathstroke, whatever you want to call him is around so much right now. I like the idea of, you know, kind of having this weird there. This really is the year of the villain in a way, because we have a Harley Quinn animated show, Deathstroke show, um, Joker movie. We're, we're looking at that perspective a lot, but I, I like it. Seth. Well, now I've got so many things to think about and wonder. Yes, Steve, I don't understand the strategy in ending Deathstroke as a comic book on number 50. What 
Priest was doing was some really wonderful stuff. Don't get me wrong. His storytelling is unparalleled. You know, his concepts of time and the way he told that story was really impressive. Clearly, you know, kind of masterful work going on there. But then to have it end while Deathstroke is rising to prominence on Titans, um, becoming the new conflict for Batman in James Tynan's run, and also left in a really interesting place after number 50 ends. Why then suddenly this explosion in so many other places? How is that the launch for the Deathstroke cartoon? Kelly, yeah, I don't know why it's on CWC, if it will be coming into DC Universe, why we're getting such a, you know, hilarious, violent, potty mouth harlequin over on DC Universe, and yet one of the most notoriously violent, the guy who can kill you 16 ways with a toothpick, is over on CWC. And then I got to go back to Michael Chiklis, who won me over years ago as the commish. And I'm just going to go ahead and get really old here and say, if you haven't heard of this show, check out Michael Chiklis as a really different take as a police commissioner. It was my first introduction to him. And I loved watching his growth as he moved on to projects like The Shield. I even, I'm going to be honest with you, had a soft spot for him in the Fantastic Four movies just because of who he is. So He was brilliant. Yeah, he, who he is as an actor, what he brings, so much of that, it makes him just this, well, as I've heard it said before, he has what they call a watchable quality. When he takes his presence onto the screen, it's something that I don't take my eyes off of. And I'm intrigued now to experience what it's like to hear his voice and witness him as a character using that voice to convey all those things I'm so used to seeing in his person when he's on screen. The rest of the cast, quite an impressive mix. And Steve, as you pointed out, quite an impressive overall cast of characters as well. Um, I like the idea of getting a chance to see Lady Shiva in this mix. Wintergreen is someone who I feel like simply hasn't been as visible as he could be in other projects. And might be a chance to sort of get some more development. And I feel like every time you bring Jericho and Rose into it, you get a family dynamic that a lot of people would love to have the chance to tell a story about because what they do makes these stories so amazing. Lots of questions. Looking forward to plenty of answers. And a little frustrated for those like Steve who can't enjoy this on the CW seed right now. So please, whatever you're doing out there regarding our, our friends across the pond, Fix it. Just fix it. That's all I'm asking. Um, Steve, that's all I... There you go. <laughs> that's all I got. That's the most of my, you know, influence, the extent of my powers. And, you know, Imagine maybe... Imagine Puss in Boots right now, but a British <laughs> Puss in Boots is actually a human being, not a cat, with the big eyes, and, and put the words, please, under that, and, and that that's the way forward. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Now, I'm also going to be completely honest. When it comes to influence, I myself would probably like to have the kind of influence that this next person does. I simply don't. And knowing that is probably the first, you know, step towards understanding as to, you know, the limitations of my influence. 
But when Barack Obama names HBO's Watchmen as a year-end favorite, the reaction is a little bit bigger than, well, anything I can say. And what I loved was his response to this serialized drama, which he described as powerful as movies. Steve, what was your take on this story, my friend? This is a man whose opinion I would listen to always. And the fact that he agrees with so many others that Watchmen was... I mean, it was just an incredible piece of television. It really was an incredible piece of television. And like you said, Seth, his exact words were experiences as powerful as movies. This was a nine episode show that I didn't really want because I was such a purist and such a, a huge fan of the original source material. I just thought they should leave it alone. But I've said that about the Joker movie now, so maybe I'm wrong about that too. But if I am, then I'll quite happily buy myself a hat and eat it. But for Barack Obama to say that he's said his favorite films of 2019, at the end, he's put a list of TV shows I considered as powerful as movies and Watchmen is there. Then it wasn't just me who was impressed by this amazing piece of TV that was based on a comic book and has become one of the best sequels to a comic book that I've ever seen. It's it's fantastic. I loved it. Again, I don't know if I do want them to make any more because it was so good, but there were so many questions left open that I really am dying for them to make some more. I just can't make my mind up. Um, but Mr. Obama, I salute you, and I could not agree more. Kelly? Yeah, I, I mean, I was 12 or 13 in 2008 when Obama got elected, so I had no... I, I I didn't know what politics were at that point in my life, but I found that as I get older, I respect Barack Obama in a way that I, I, I don't think I would have appreciated back then. Um, you know, he tends to be so just straightforward and wise about things. And I think he's absolutely right about Watchmen. I mean, I actually had no idea that the, the Tulsa riots any of that I had no idea that that ever happened until I saw Watchmen and then I I googled it on my phone as I was watching it and was like oh my god this is a real thing that happened at at least that event which is mind-boggling but it's that sort of television where you can tie in an amazing comic book like Alan Moore's Watchmen and an event that people apparently don't really talk about in the U.S. like that and then kind of birth this entire show from it is absolutely amazing. So I think at the very least, the shows Obama has really solid taste in television because I, I mean, it was amazing. It was just very, very well done. Seth. This is one of those moments when, at least for me, it feels like you recognize something, but you almost need that validation from somebody else that you know is a trusted source to come along and say, no, 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 you're not crazy, or no, 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 you're not alone. We're feeling it too. We're experiencing it too. And that sort of authenticity is what I get from President Barack Obama. When he starts talking about just about anything, I feel like there's a weight and a certainty that's involved with every statement he makes, even when it's something lighthearted, off the cuff, or just a simple quip. But there's a weight to his opinion about culture, about media, 
and about the way we perceive ourselves. And I was really moved that he listed this as one of his favorite, uh, well, as he put it, a, a series as powerful as a movie. And also, I was really moved by the fact that what he's recognizing is, as you both point out, something that was a sequel that didn't have all of the expectation that we now will have for anything else that's coming out for Mr. Lindelof and uh, and Watchmen or anything else related to the the title. And when it when it comes to this context, there's this feeling that, as you both pointed out, there's a history here that's being brought up that's not as ancient as it might feel, simply because it's been forgotten or not referenced or not talked about. And yet using that to tell such a unique story to open the scope for what we thought we knew about one of the more mysterious characters from The Watchmen and how that reinformed everything else we have experienced, not only from that book, but now from that series. The things it touched on, the challenged and the challenges that it faced were really something that we don't always feel is part of the discussion currently there's a a filter almost like a a mute button on certain topics to keep them from getting too passionate too heated and yet this is material that is so weighted that in order to tell anything about it those kinds of reactions are going to come up and yet it did so not by saying, let's focus just on this one moment of history, but saying, let's talk about a timeline. Let's talk about how all of these events are connected. Let's keep looking back to moments that maybe are really painful and we want to move on from or we want to look away from. And let's look and let's look a little bit closer and then let's ask some hard questions about what that means and what that experience was like and what the impacts and the results of it were. I was really impressed by this because I've come across more than a few conversations when I've heard someone say, yeah, but what you're talking about happened a long time ago and it doesn't have the kind of impact on the present that you think it does. That's actually from so long ago. And yet moments like the event in Tulsa wasn't that long ago. And the importance is how recent it was and how much those things need to be remembered when we're telling stories, that there are parts of history we might like to forget because it's, well, easier, but that it's the discomfort, it's that challenge that's inherent in telling a story that is painful, that deals with painful or, in my opinion, shameful moments in history that they need to be explored, they need to be examined because there's a relevance and importance that's lost when you try and brush them under the carpet. I almost feel like I got on a soapbox there, so I'm going to try and climb down from it. But I was really moved by this idea, and I loved his response to the story. And my hope is that it elevates Watchmen as far as its perception or the way it's received by others in a way that they look at it in a new light. And if they haven't looked at it before, that they click play and experience what it is that we've all found to be so moving about this really amazing story that 
Well, it kind of feels like the Joker. I feel like this is one of those we're going to keep talking about for a really long time. And um, I'm looking forward to every facet of this story that we get to share on this podcast. I think it's hard to move into any other story after, well, after that one. But I'm going to do my best. And thanks for bearing with me. On a slightly lighter note, and also looking with a bit of optimism and promise to the future, is the announcement that the CW has given us a hint as to what its backdoor pilot for the Arrow spinoff that's been bandied about might potentially look like. And a description for an episode starring Catherine McNamara, Katie Cassidy, and Juliana Harkavy might provide the insight that informs us just a little more what this spinoff could look like. Steve, what was your take on the story, my friend? Well, we've been chatting about this for a while now, haven't we? That uh, this was a pitch that Katie Cassidy actually made, and it's been talked about for a good few months now. The fact that he's actually getting a pilot and... Well, we all know what happens. Never has a pilot been made for these CW Arrowverse shows that hasn't gone to series. And this one, female-led, set in the future, oh, yeah, brilliant. And with the whole um, Birds of Prey movie coming out as well, another female-led action movie, this could be another great year for DC in terms of both inclusivity, diversity, and, and, and having different kinds of shows because what we haven't had from them is a show a set in the future yes we had time travel back and forth with legends but this is set 20 years in the future with an all-female cast of heroes brilliant 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 i'm all for it and i hope it's a huge success because these three talented kick-ass ladies deserve it yeah i'll be watching what about you kelly yeah, I I mean, the the two things that really make me excited about this one the the female led because there's I I mean in television actually there are you know some female superhero or if not superhero but some female teams that we see I know at least as a kid uh, watching Totally Spies or I think the Wings Club the Wings Club something like that was another one like there's it happens but not enough and not a lot. Um, so I'm excited that that's happening. Then also, I it's strange, but as a reader and as a watcher, I've always kind of stayed away from stories about the future for whatever reason. It's just it's one of those genres that never really did it for me. But actually, recently, looking back at um, you know, some I think it was an H.G. Wells story or something like that that I was reading. I was like, you know what? It's kind of fun to look at stories that look at the future because it's there's so much hope in them most of the time it's look at what we might be able to do or where i i think we'll be able to get if we just push ourselves um so i'm excited to see this as an ongoing series that would be really fun because i don't think they're gonna do kind of a too dark of a take and i like the idea of being able to look at what we might have you know 20 years down the road that that's really exciting to me seth I'm really intrigued by this. I really have enjoyed Mia Smoke. I feel that she has that Oliver Queen fire to her. And 
sometimes it seems like it burns just a little bit brighter, a little bit hotter, a little bit more passionately than even her father uh, has displayed in the past. And I love the idea of she's sort of, you know, comfortable in the future. Things are things are looking good. She's feeling okay. <laughs> Only to have people that she knows show up from, you know, the past, not just her past, but the past. And, well, the fun that we get to have in 2040 Star City. Um I love this idea of seeing them all together in a future setting. And Kelly, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the contrast to you. I loved future stories. I've always been like the world's biggest sucker for any story that says, "Hey, this is what the future is gonna look like." Because I'm like, okay, I'm in. What, what do we got? And I usually buy it hook, line, and sinker. And then 10 years later, I'm completely disappointed when I realized that I'm at the year when we were supposed to Where's have flying the cars. Where's my hoverboard? Where's my flying car? I you would know. take the work, my God. <laughs> and I can remember being in like the seventh grade and talking with friends because there had been a rumored story that the hoverboard would be coming out soon and we would all be able to get one. And how cool is this going to be? And years went by and nothing and then when they did finally come out with something that they called like a hoverboard, it wasn't. It was just something with wheels that you could move. And I was just like, where is my future? Where's my jetpack? Where's my hoverboard? And where is my flying car? I don't know that this new future we'll see in 2040 Star City will feature any of those things, but I love seeing the future. And I'm going to really enjoy following uh, the story of Mia Smoke, Mia Queen. And... The clash that I'm sure is going to come when she, Laurel, and Dinah work together because there's going to be that, hey, we've been doing this before you, followed by, hey, I've been doing this on my own. And then that's where we're going to really see the framework of their teamwork sort of take shape. That's only going to be more fun for me and any other fan who loves that kind of content. I think the cast is a perfect fit. And I have to agree with you all that I'm a big fan of Miss Cassidy taking charge of this pitch and clearly leading in a direction where this show is more than just an idea and a great pitch, but something that shaping up to be a very real part of the new Arrowverse. And I think we're all going to benefit from it. I'm really looking forward to seeing this spinoff hint as it plays out in the episode, and then how it's going to feed into this longer-running series as it develops. Now, that's not our final story, but we just got through movie, TV, streaming. I don't know about you, but I'm almost winded. I probably need to get something to drink, and I'm so lucky that we have a quick ad break coming up where I'll get the chance to do that, catch my breath, try and slow down my heart rate, while you get the opportunity to learn about all the great things going on here at DC Comics News, ways you can be a part of it, and other information you simply don't want to miss. Stick around. Afterwards, we'll be coming back to you with our comics news and a little something we like to call other. What could it be? Well, you'll have to come back after the ad to find out. We'll be here with you. Thanks for sticking around. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News. 
here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the Knight. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the Knight. Hello everybody, Jay Wade and Kaylin here to tell you about SEN Afterlife. It's an after show podcast where we expand on the week of craziness on SEN Live as well as have guests on to join in the fun. Yep, and we get personal too. We do movie reviews and at times we go way off the rails, which I guarantee is always Kaylin's fault. Hey, how rude and not true. So come join us on the Mark with a Movie Blog feed and remember to rate, share and subscribe. And as always, enjoy. And like that, quicker than a flash, the ad is over. The team is back. I'm your host, Seth Singleton, here on DC Comics News Podcast, episode number 53. I'm joined by Mr. Steve J. Ray, Miss Kelly Gaines. We've already covered movies, TV, and streaming. We're moving now into comics. And a story to kick things off is the announcement that the Joker Harley Quinn Criminal Sanity series, issue number three, will be enlisting Jason Badower as the artist. There's a little bit more behind the story, but essentially, artist Mike Mayhew has been replaced by Jason Badower for February 5th, Joker, Harley, Criminal Sanity, number three. Steve, what was your take on this announcement? Well, obviously, uh, being a heavily Batman-influenced book, it's one of the titles that uh, my guys at Dark Knight News review. So, obviously... I read and edit every review that, that we post. So I already knew that uh, Jason had appeared and uh, had a co-artist credit on issue two. But um, I'm just a bit um, concerned. And hopefully, um, for not for any real reason, that, that everything's all OK uh, about um, Mike Mayhew and hope everything's all right with him and wish him every continued success. Uh, it must be heartbreaking to get a dream job like this and it's a great great book and to be replaced but obviously things have happened whether they be personal or whatever else where Jason Badder has had to come over and, and take over but whatever the case this book looks gorgeous issue two is every bit as stunning as issue one in terms of the artwork and the writing and so I think that at least the series is in good hands so Mike can rest assured that the series whether it has him working it or not, will continue to be 
what it set out to be. And um, listen, Mike, if you're not well, success. If there's something with your family, best wishes, our present thoughts with you. And Jason, congratulations on taking over on this stunning book. So try to stay positive and uh, listen, at least we're getting the book. It's not been cancelled or delayed or held back like every other comic story we report on this show. It's still going ahead, but just with a new artist. So I'm going to take that as a positive. Kelly. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it depends on the circumstances, but I really hope that whatever, you know, Mike's future endeavors are, that they're good because that, that book was gorgeous. Um, and yeah, the, the best of luck to Jason coming in. It's uh, a hard mantle to pick up, I think, because it did look really good. And I would say I'm not worried for the book on the grounds that in, in me and Seth's, you know, previous conversation with Cami Garcia, she, I, I just have no, I don't know. I, there's no part of me that's concerned for any book that she's on because she has just such a, a commanding kind of confident understanding of what she writes that it just I feel like you could you could throw stick figures in there and it won't be as great visually but you'll still kind of love reading it so I I, I'm not concerned about the book as a whole but I do really hope that you know it it maintains or even exceeds itself as far as the artwork goes um but yeah it's it's Cami Garcia's on it so it can't possibly go wrong uh Seth well, I have to echo both of you. One, by saying that uh, I hope that whatever has happened to cause Mr. Mayhew to step away from this project uh, will be a temporary one, and that it's not something that's, well, not something that's going to impact his ability to come back. There was already shared work uh, by Jason on the previous book, and that now he's filling in, which... I think helps in some way because it shows that there was already a process in place to support Mr. Mayhew while this transition was occurring. And then to have that transition occur with the, the responsibility passing on to Jason. Um, simply put, I have very little concern about what Cami Garcia is able to do because I feel that her scripting allows for any artist to step in and really get a grasp. And I also feel that her ability to work with other artists in the past has really cemented her understanding of what artists need from her in order to tell a great story. And that no matter who the artist is, that's something she's going to keep providing. That sort of consistency is going to be crucial for Miko and Jason to finish this project together. And knowing that she's at the helm gives me a lot of confidence. And I'm intrigued now just to see how closely Jason Sal will match Mr. Mayhew's, how much of a differentiation, how much of a, a noticeable quality or uh, distinction will be picked up on regarding their two art styles and what that will mean for the readers and for the tone of the story moving forward. But I also have to agree as well that this is uh, great news in the fact that it's a story about a restructuring, not one about a rescheduling. I think that's extremely important because, as we're about to see, far more often than not, when our stories are about comics, they generally have included stories about cancellations, reschedules, pushbacks, and other impacts for readers. This, hopefully, is one that has been addressed and moving forward is going to continue to be a great story. 
as it has for these first two issues and now as we move into this third. I'm also intrigued because now we're moving into our next story and this has to do with exactly what we were saying we don't like to talk about. Stories that are being delayed, rescheduled, or in this case, canceled. The announcement that Absolute Gotham by Gaslight has been canceled. And there isn't really a reason, but there is something that states that it will be solicited again in a different format. There's a a lot of gray area here. Steve, what's your take on this story, my friend? It's a crying shame. Uh, The Gotham by Gaslight stories, and it looks like it was going to include both the original and the sequel, um, Master of the Future, not appearing in a absolute format is actually kind of heartbreaking because those absolute DC books are just incredible. And I do believe that these stories are deserving of that treatment. And then to hear that they were also going to include the one shots that um, had that version of Batman appearing them from uh, Shazam and from um, uh, the Gotham, I guess, like convergence issues and stuff were also going to be included. And now it's not happening yeah, that's kind of sad. Um, but I, again, will try and be glasses half full and pay credence to DC saying that it will be solicited again, but in a different format. So possibly not in an absolute, gigantic, impossible to carry and read on public transport format, but it may be in a lovely collected edition hardback or, or something like that. So, yeah, disappointing, sad, because I got excited when I heard about it. But, you know, it's not happening, at least not in the way originally envisaged. Kelly, what did you make of it? Yeah, um, I mean, it definitely, any sort of delays kind of make me anxious with DC right now because it's it's just kind of such a widespread thing. Um, I will say, so my experience even with Gotham by Gaslight initially was I picked it up because I was helping edit a comic book about Jack the Ripper and just for fun was in the comic book shop one day and saw that there was a Jack the Ripper uh, Batman story and was like, oh, this looks really cool. And I did enjoy reading it. But then I saw the animated movie and I didn't like the animated movie at all. So it's kind of one of those, it's a weird title for me in the sense that it's both made me very happy and very not happy. So I'm frustrated that it's delayed just on the whole grand scheme of there are a lot of delays and cancellations coming out but at the same time it's you know I will more than likely end up getting it because I really did enjoy the actual um the actual book of it so you know we'll we'll see it's this is one of the ones I'm on the fence about what about you Seth yeah it's hard for me to have um a really heartfelt reaction to this story Because I feel like it's only the first half of the story. The thing that really sticks out for me the most is the idea that it could be essentially appearing sometime in the future. And when it does, it will appear as a different format. I want to feel good about it eventually appearing. And I want to feel good about the fact that it will be appearing in some other format. I am disappointed because of all the great things that Steve was mentioning that come from these absolute editions. And losing that, it means something. And what it means right now, I'm not really sure of because it won't be until I see what that 
final version is that new solicitation, this different format, that I'll be able to weigh it against this announcement and say, okay, well, they made this decision and it's one that I'm comfortable with because of what the result is in this different format. Or the result could be me saying, wow, if you guys had stuck with the original, I'd be a lot happier. So I'm waiting for this other version, this other solicitation, this different format to see really what the value of what is being missed with this announcement really means for me. Until then, it's one of those, wow, what are those, what are those moments that might have been? But what that actually could look like, I won't really sort of have a context for until I see what this different format shows up. And then I can weigh them against each other and decide whether or not that much was really missed or if the decision to move in this other format was actually the right call in the end. Um, and that's really all I'm left with is this feeling of, well, I'm taking this announcement at face value for now. But later on, when I see the format that it does eventually appear in, that's when I'm probably going to reserve my final judgment, my final opinion, I guess. I know I'm kind of bouncing around there, but that's how this story has left me feeling. I'm not really going to have a, a conclusive thought or any sort of resolution until I've seen the format they eventually agree on and whether or not I think it's it's the right fit or they should have stuck with this hardcover absolute version. So time will tell. And time is unfortunately a factor when it comes to Mr. Snyder and Mr. Jimenez's Justice League finale, which was recently announced that that issue number 39 has been postponed by two weeks. Originally scheduled to be released on January 15th, it is now set to go on sale January 29th at the time of this recording. Steve, what's your take, my friend? Why, why, why? That's my take. Um, why are we not getting a reason? Is it because Scott Snyder doesn't actually want to leave Justice League and saying, no, 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 mine, 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 I'm not giving it up. No, 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 you can't make me go away. Or is it because maybe the new team isn't quite ready to launch their issue? Just some hint of news and explanation would be so much better than just, okay, no, we're launching it two weeks later than advertised. And everyone who reads this book will have to wait two weeks longer than they normally do because we say so. Uh, And that's what it feels like. All these pushbacks and delays just leave a bad taste in the mouth. And for people who've been following this story, which I know obviously you have for Spinner Rack, Seth, and for myself, I I collect Justice League and have done for many, many years. Um, This is the final chapter of the story, and I really want to read it. But now I can't. Why? I just don't know. And that's the frustrating part of it. Kelly, what do you make of this uh, latest pushback? I mean, I would say my overall comment is actually a facial expression, and it's a facial expression that my my boyfriend knows, my brothers know, my parents know. Like, it's it's the facial expression for me that you don't want to get. But it, it was something I can actually put into words, honestly. I it, The delays really make me anxious. It, it worries me every time that this happens, especially with something as the Justice League is the biggest thing that DC has. This is our 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 trinity, our pantheon. This is the biggest the biggest book, the biggest story. And it's really, really frustrating when um 
I don't know. It's just without a reason and kind of just even if it's pushed back a little bit, that's still a pushback. It's still and we don't know exactly if it's only going to be two weeks or if this is going to turn into a Shazam thing where it's two weeks, two months, two years, never. And I just I don't know. Right. Like that. It's it's just not okay. And I, I feel really I don't know. It's the overall the cancellations and delays just sort of. Uh, like I even this past New Year's last weekend got into an argument with someone at a New Year's party because they were very, very disparaging about DC. And I kind of I'm not an assert myself in the conversations kind of person. But whenever it's someone shit talking DC, I get a little like I I don't know. And it, my thing is always they have the best books. The books are really strong compared to Marvel. DC's books are well written. They're thoughtful. They're oh, hell yeah. It's it's so much better than I honestly better than Marvel, I would think. So that's what I go to. And when things like this happen where it's but the books aren't coming out, they're getting delayed, they're getting pushed back. It's like, but this is your strong suit. Dedicate yourself to this. And it just it's just frustrating. Uh, rant over, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> rant necessary and well-deserved and important. And both of you, completely valid, both of you highlighting really important points that I'm hoping if you're out there, DC, and you're listening, that you're taking these things to heart. Because this isn't the content we want to discuss. These aren't the stories we want to share. These aren't the conversations we want to have. And yet every time there's a cancellation or rescheduling, a postponement or any other development like this, it leaves, as has been stated, a bad taste in the mouth, a sense of uncertainty, creates a lot of hesitation, speculation, and discomfort. We rely on a degree of consistency in order to trust that the stories we're investing ourselves in are investing the same amount of time back at us. These sorts of changes really create a struggle for us because it makes us question what we're investing in and whether or not we're getting our return. Justice, do more. I mean, we're 39 issues in. We want to experience this conclusion and sort of not feel like we're skipping a beat or experiencing the transition of Scott Snyder's leaving and the next direction for Justice League. And yet, it's almost like this disruption has highlighted this for us. And I really would have rather had the continued story, the developments, the farewell by Scott Snyder, and the transition into what's next for the Justice League uh, in the wake of this war. And now not only is it delayed, but the impact feels like it's almost been overstated. You know, it's like when you're in a car with bad shocks and you hit a bump and it just keeps rocking, 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 and you're like, okay, why hasn't this moment passed? Why am I still experiencing it? And that's that feeling I have from it right now. DC, replace your shocks. Quit messing around with your artists and writers. Give us a consistency that we know, expect, and I think as fans, we rightly deserve, and we're going to continue asking for. So don't mind us keeping our expectations high. We know you can reach them. We know how good you are. Just, you know, 
do the things we know that you're great at and the reasons why we continue to believe in you and knock it off already. So with that note, <laughs> I'm I mean, just at the end of the day, we're all avid. We're all avid DC fans. We're all avid DC supporters. We love DC comics and we want to help push them and support them. But news like this just makes it harder. And, I don't and use that's, bad that's words the, defending DC. Yeah, I am a comic book fan. I, I love Marvel. I love DC. But I will say that right now, actually, for the last six, seven years, DC comic books have been way ahead. But for us to defend and support DC, news like this does make it extremely difficult. And we are more than just fans and supporters being uh, in a website that's partially backed by DC, that we, we get the books from them and, and so much more. Um, we're almost like a, a, an under independent branch of DC's publicity machine. And when we find it hard to defend something we love, um, it's got to ring alarm bells. And if we just got more of a reasoning rather than just this is delayed, it'll make our lives a lot easier and, and hopefully make DC's life a lot easier too. I agree. I feel that, well, I've said it before, and I'll repeat myself, uh, information breeds confidence. Secrecy breeds <sighs> all those negativities that only get in the Makes way. Makes us worry. Yeah. You don't need uncertainty. What people want is certainty. They want consistency. And if they can't have that, they want to know why. And those are not unfair questions nor should they be answers that are withheld. Um, it only behooves DC to let people know what's going on so they can know what to expect. No one likes surprises. Um, right now, my wife is looking at a different car that she wants to get. And one of the things that was sort of important was when we were talking about changing maybe a different brand, I said, well, we want to drive it. We want to know what we're expecting because if we're eventually going to invest money in it, we want to know what we're investing in, what comes with it, and what our return's gonna be. DC, we wanna invest money in you guys. <laughs> I wanna buy this number issue 39. I wanna talk about it on the spinner rack. Delaying it makes it harder for us to do all of those things, and we wanna support you. Don't make it hard for us in the process. Help us out, okay? Just a little bit, just a little bit. Now, while the comics have been frustrating, our last story, it just puts a smile on my face because when I look through these images, I can't help but smile. What I'm talking about is the announcement that Todd McFarlane has recently unveiled his DC Spin Master toy line as well as McFarlane Toys announcing all of the different figures that they have coming our way. It's quite a list, quite an impressive collection. There's a lot of images that I'm not sure I can do any justice to describing. Luckily, I've got both Steve and Kelly here to help break down what stood out for them about this announcement of quite an amazing selection of toys. Everything from Detective Comics, Variant Covers, Action Comics, Batgirl, Nightwing, the list goes on and on. Steve, what stuck out for you? What can you not stop drooling over? What are you setting aside money for? Do we need to rob a bank? Yes, definitely need to rob a bank or, or have a lottery win. And I'm 
just so so sad that brad isn't with us this week because this is his wheelhouse this is his ballpark. this is his oh brad i, I hope he's seen them because i need to talk to brad about these when we first started this show um all of us together this is one of the first things we discussed and it was a huge announcement that McFarlane Toys were going to be producing a DC line. And already then we were like salivating and discussing, oh, what are they going to make? Their toys are great. And seeing the final results, hot damn. What am I drooling over? What do I want? Um, all of them. What can I tell you? Um, the hell about Batman armor. Uh, John Stewart, I mean, actually everything from the animated shows, anything from Batman the Animated Series, Superman Animated Series, Justice League, all those figures are just gorgeous. And then we get Superman in armor, like I said, Nightwing, um, what a cool Nightwing, Batmobiles, the Batman who laughs, Batgirl in her new current continuity costume. The list goes on and on. Harley, oh, man. Listen, please, if you want to set up a Kickstarter uh, for DC Comics newsreaders want toys, um, then please go ahead, sign up right now, because these DC Comics newsreaders and writers want these toys. Kelly, am I right? So I I know in the past I've said I don't really have much to do with the DC collectibles, and that changed super recently. I just on a whim was looking through what DC Universe has on sale or for sale. And I ended up buying a Hawk Girl and a Wonder Woman action figure. And that kind of started a downward spiral. So at this point, I've spent a ton of money on on DC action figures and toys that I I don't know why I want them, but I wanted them. It was a whole thing that I got into like two days ago. So seeing this both made me really excited and really furious because I now realize this is going to be a part of my life that I can't change. Like I was talking to my boyfriend about maybe us doing something creative with the fact that I'm buying these things. Is there a way we can use them? Because I just it's turned into a hobby somehow in the past week. Exactly. So I especially really, really liked the uh, the Batman, the animated series Batman looks fantastic and i was yes. looking for batman right like it's perfect it's so well done it looks exactly like the show and i was actually looking for one on amazon yesterday and now i know what i want and now i'm furious that this is what my paycheck is going into now but overall they look gorgeous and i i'm officially on the the toy wagon somehow uh seth <laughs> I love wagons. There's something about, there's something, do you remember how when you realized that moment when you could get enough momentum in a wagon or when you could turn the handle around so you could sit inside or maybe just kneel and kick with one leg until you've got enough momentum and then you put your feet in and you're steering and it's like you're driving like you're a little kid with your own car and yeah, so I'm more than happy to grab my red flyer to hop on in and to go for a spin. Now, the only question I'm going to ask is if someone out there can tell me all the different flavors of ramen that are available. Because if I'm gonna be eating it, I'm gonna get sick of chicken and shrimp really fast. (laughs) And even beef isn't gonna break it up for me. So I'm gonna need a lot of variety because it's gonna be ramen, huge boxes of pasta, maybe some butter and Parmesan cheese. And that's, that's my diet. 
for like the next 16 years so I could get afford the blue packets. Buy a lot of cheese. <laughs> <laughs> get the blue packets. Buy a lot of cheese. I like it. There are so many just really cool figures on here. I can't help and and it's just something about the way it pops. But that Batgirl character, that figure is really smooth. There's something about the yellow. I don't know what it is, but that and the Batman the Animated Series, you guys, you know, were right on. Now the uh, the Batman uh, in the suit. Oh, is it Hellbat? Yes, the Hellbat, the, Hellbat the uh, apocalyptic yeah. technology that he uses to resurrect uh, uh, Damian Wayne after his temporary death back in the day. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I couldn't think of the name, so I was scrolling along, like, what's that called again? That's a really sharp outfit. And then there's just a couple of surprises, like the Oliver Queen arrow. So sharp. Every detail about it's it just perfect, looks really clean. Yeah, I was really impressed. I will be honest that I the only one that actually gives me any sort of hesitation is I didn't love the uh, John Stewart Green Lantern. There's something about the way his shoulders and neck kind of crane forward a bit that felt I just a little... <laughs> I'm not here to argue. I mean, when I look at him face on, he looks really, really cool. But the side look, the profile for me, just the the hunching forward, that was the only thing that kind of threw me off. Where I was like, I feel like there's a decision behind that I should understand, but I don't yet. And it's jarring with me. But man, the vehicles, the characters. Now, I am worried about Kelly. She's only two days in, and it sounds like she's in quicksand. I mean... Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I am drowning. Not only that, but what we're looking at here is uh, quite an impressive list of characters, of figures. And the challenge here is, will she be able to afford them all in addition to all of the ones that she has already begun to pick up? And also, what is she going to do? When they come out with even more, because, you know, Kelly, you're only two days in. Um, Do you need, you know, some help with the ramen list like I'm going to be getting? Does anyone know how to make things out of just plain flour, just with nothing else? Is there any way to make flour taste good? That's all I have. Um, I know if you Mm -hmm. add a little bit of water, you can kind of make a cheap biscuit, but you might need (laughs) some baking powder, just the sprinkles of it. And, and even that is a guess. I used to make drop biscuits when I was younger, because it was a fun way to just, you know, and it seems so simple, just some flour and water and like one or two other ingredients. But now I'm thinking those two other ingredients on top of the water flour could be the straw that breaks the back. So (laughs) I'll keep looking. But flour and water, you can do stuff with. I know also, this cheap much. Biscuit would be a great name for a band. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Cheap Trick, right? Cheap Biscuit. <laughs> Interesting. What if Cheap Biscuit opened for Cheap Trick? Now that would be a hot story. All right. <laughs> That'd be a so... very cheap concert. <laughs> I would hope so. Just pocket change. Give what you feel like. <laughs> when it comes to these characters, to these toys to the idea that Todd McFarlane, who has been able to basically draw things that make us salivate and now create things that continue to make us salivate, points to me that really, Mr. McFarlane, I mean, what else you got under your cape there, my friend? Because clearly you're doing magic and we all want some. 
So I'm really excited for what this means for future toys, for future possibilities. And then really, because you're both enjoying this as much as I am, any last thoughts on these figures before we wrap up our final story of the day? If anyone if you wants to, to donate money, me, I won't say no. That was awesome. <laughs> that, was, yep, that was the same. Yeah. Okay, Steve, what was yours? If anyone wants to buy them all for me, I won't say no. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. And Kelly, what did you say? Yeah, I was gonna say if you want to donate me, donate me some money, but you could always donate me some action figures. That works too. <laughs> Well, you know what? The best thing is we're now about to talk about the part that I really have a lot of fun with is, which is all the ways that people can reach out to you and us and let us know what they're thinking about what they heard. So if you're out there right now listening and you know that both Steve, Kelly, and maybe me too, I don't know, maybe, would like some financial assistance or any assistance, even if it's just moral support regarding the pursuit of all of these amazing figures and all the books we've and stories we've been talking about well we're going to let you know how you can find them steve for the people who want to support your toy needs or just let you know what they're thinking about all the amazing things you do online how and where can they find you and say hello my bank account details are no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> you can catch me on Twitter at Elstevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. And you can read all of my craziness across both DC Comics News and Dark Knight News by simply doing a search for Steve J. Ray. And you'll be able to see all my interviews with uh, actors, actresses, costume designers, comic book writers, comic book artists, and everything else in between right there uh kelly where can the world find you so you can find me doing opinion and editorial pieces on dc comics news and i'm also on twitter at kel gains right that's k-e-l-g-a-i-n-e-s-w-r-i-t-e um and that is where you can see what i think Seth? <laughs> see what i think by visiting me over at twitter at one more singleton finding me here on the DC comics news podcast, where you can catch me recording the spinner rack on a weekly basis and occasionally writing either news or reviews. And then if you're looking for me out there, type my name, Seth Singleton and the word story, and then leave me a message about what you discovered. I'm always curious to find what you find when you go looking for me. Now, when it comes to looking for us, you're lucky. DC Comics News is available on all the major podcast platforms. So whether you enjoy Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play, head over, subscribe, and then rate and review. I think we're five stars. But if you have a reason why it's different, that's the thing we want to hear. We're always here to make it better for you. If social media is your favorite foray into sharing your opinion, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube are all channels where you can reach us. All you have to do is use that really cool at symbol and the tag DC Comics News. That's capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N, E-W-S. And I'm going to remind you and encourage you to check out 
my good friend, co-conspirator Steve J. Ray, and his I Am The Night podcast, an episode-by-episode breakdown of the legendary Batman the Animated Series, right here on the DC Comics News Podcast Network. If you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode of it, the Spinner Rack, or the DC Comics News Podcast, which you're listening to right now. With all of that information at your disposal, we're going to step away and give you a chance to absorb everything we've talked about and look up all those great ways you can let us know what you're thinking. And then, of course, until next episode, there's always one thing we would like you to keep doing, and that is to always read more comics. And just like that, we'll see you next time.